I want you to ponder on your life personally. From your childhood up to the age of where you are now. And compare your life to the life of Jesus Christ. Because uh, he, as stated earlier, is the perfect example of what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We will spend most of our time in the book of Luke because he gives us a good record and information about Jesus Christ's life from him being a baby up to him being a teenage boy and also him starting his ministry. And Luke also provides us more information than any other uh, gospel book in the Bible about Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, for, our, for my note takers, I encourage you to write these six points down. Uh, this is the order that we're going to go by. You can use these six points as a point of reference. These six points let us know how Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first point is Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The second point, the Holy Spirit at Jesus Christ's baptism. Third point, Jesus Christ lived by the Holy Spirit. Fourth point, Jesus Christ was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Fifth point, Jesus Christ was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. And the sixth point, Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So let's talk about the first point. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. If you think about your parents, uh, of how you were conceived, the first thought that comes to your mind is that they fulfill God's first, very first commandment, which is to be fruitful and multiply. That is why you and I are here today. Amen. That was one of the very first commandments that God gave to Adam and Eve. God foreknew that you and I were, was going to be conceived. He knew that we were going to be born on a specific date to people who he has chosen to be our parents. Also, when we were born, people came to our place of birth to celebrate us, as it is customary for all of us to do when a child is born into this world. 
And every child's birth should be celebrated because it is a joyous time. It is a, a new life that have entered into another realm, using that word loosely speaking. There is a new person coming into the world. This was and still is the case for Jesus Christ. You and I celebrate his birth yearly, December 25th. On that day, we even sing songs about his birth. Songs like, Joy to the World. Since Vic wanted me to sing, I was singing this song for him. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. We see songs like that because that actually happened. The earth did receive her king. Scripture tells us that wise men travel to see the birth of Christ. I like to believe that it was more than three men that traveled to the birth of place of Christ. Could have been a hundred, two hundred. A thousand or more. At that time that Christ was born, angels, priests, even creation itself celebrated his birth. Also, it is true that the purpose of Christ's birth was to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Like in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, it speaks of a virgin, that a virgin shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. Even going back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is a clear indication of Christ's birth. It speaks of that God would put an enmity between the serpent and the woman and the seed of the woman. And that seed is Christ. That Jesus shall crush the head of the serpent and the serpent shall bruise Jesus' heel. Within that verse of itself, it highlights the gospel as well. And there are many more prophecies that point to the birth of Christ. But these facts are important, but not as significant to the conception of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ is not only significant because Mary was a virgin. God could have used any female 
to be the birth mother of Jesus. It just so happened that he chose Mary as the vessel for, to birth Christ into this world. Mary herself identified that she was a servant of the Lord. She said that in her magnificence, her praise to God. She said that to the angel. Let the Lord, the words of the Lord be so. But the birth of Christ is not only significant because wise men brought gifts to celebrate his birth, but again, it is primarily significant because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Since he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by man, the Holy Spirit of which he was born, he was born holy. He was born holy. This is what Luke chapter 1 verse 35 says. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. And the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. At any time, the Spirit of God uh, assisted a child to be born. It was to fulfill a promise or a task. This is what I mean. There's plenty of times in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit move upon a certain parent so they can birth a child. One of the prime examples is Abraham and Sarah. That Sarah was in his old age, around the age of 90, and uh, I mean Abraham was around the age of 90, and Sarah around the age of 80, not able to bear children, but God moved upon their fleshly bodies to bring about Isaac. That was to fulfill a promise. Or we think about uh, Samson in the book of Judges. How he went, how the Spirit of God moved upon his parents, telling them that Samson would grow up to be the judge of Israel, and also a warrior for Israel to kill the Philistines. That was to feel, fulfill a task. But only one child was not only to fulfill a promise or a task, but it was only one child in the entire world that was born holy. That is Jesus Christ. All other children in this world was born not holy, but sinful. This means at the very moment of Jesus' conception, he was not only conceived by the Spirit, but he was also filled with the Spirit. This is significant because it solidifies the deity of Christ. 
It speaks to exactly who he is as pers- as his person. His person. That he is 100% man and 100% God. He was born of the flesh, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. Scripture confirms this. That Jesus is God. Period. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, Titus 2 verse 1. Second Peter chapter one, verse one, John chapter one, verse one. Those are all scripture references that identify that Christ is God. Therefore, when Jesus Christ was born, he was born into holiness. He did not possess a sinful nature, but a nature of holiness. If we think about uh, theology, and we put it in its right context, which means theology proper, our first thoughts about us being sinful goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That we inherited a sinful nature from Adam. We notice the sinful nature is in toddlers. Teenagers, young adults, elderly people. <laughs> For example, my wife and I have moved into a relative of ours, and we thought she was just the kindest person ever. But we quickly realized that wasn't the case. That's all of us. You can look at a child to see his innocence or his or her innocence. But at the same time, you can look at a child to see that sinful nature that resides in them. Now, when you and I were born, we were born into sin. This is what David said himself. David said... Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. This means at the very moment that you and I were was conceived, the deck of cars was stacked against us. Scripture says that we were born into this world, separated from God, without any hope. We were born into a world as sons of disobedience. But this, we cannot say this for, uh, for Christ. When he was born of his earthly mother, he cannot repeat the same words that David said. But what he can say, that he was born into holiness. At birth, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. We were filled with the spirit of disobedience. He was born holy. We were born sinful. You and I can testify to this truth because 
If we are spirit-filled, our sinful nature continuously and constantly war against the spirit that lies within us. Every single day, we're trying to do our best to submit to the Holy Spirit. But every single day, our flesh is constantly telling us to do the very opposite of what the Spirit desires us to do. So, Jesus was born holy. What about when he was in his teenage years? Let's talk about that. In the Jewish culture, once a boy turns, or a girl, uh, turns the age of 12 or 13, he is legally considered as a grown man or a grown adult. Um, this is where the term bar mitzvah comes from. Bar means boy, bat, B-A-T, means uh, girl. So a female would have a bat mitzvah or a boy would have a bar mitzvah. Mitzvah means commandment or law. In our judicial system, we, when a boy or a girl turns the age of 18, they are legally considered as an adult. So mom and dads, at 18, they can legally walk out without your permission. This was the case in the Jewish culture as well. Uh, when teenagers that, when they turned 12 or 13, they were legally considered as grown men or grown women. And they were morally responsible for their own actions. Just like it is for teenagers here in the States. Go to, in your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 50. It is a story about the teenage boy Jesus who was at the age of 12, which means he was legally an adult. He had the right to make his own choices without his parents' permission. Legally, his parents could not tell him what to do or how to do it, or how to live his life. Uh, when his, the story goes as such, when his earthly parents travel from Jerusalem after the festival to go back home, Jesus purposefully stayed behind so that he can teach in the synagogue. His parents did not have any knowledge of his whereabouts. But when they found out that they, his, their son was back in Jerusalem teaching, they were in great distress, as the text says. They were disappointed, upset, and and in agony at the very fact that they were searching for their teenage son. But what I want you to do is, is 
pay close attention to what they said to Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 48 through 49, and, what, and how Jesus responded back to them. They said to Jesus, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why are you looking for me? <laughs> Let's pause right there for a second. If your teenage son or daughter tells you, why are you looking for me? How would you respond? And if you were looking for your 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old child and they looked at you and said, why are you even looking for me? I only can imagine that you will discipline your child. You will verbally correct them because as parents, you are concerned for your child's uh, whereabouts. You want to make sure that he or she is safe. But here, Jesus' attitude towards his parents, his earthly parents, is that you have no business looking for me. Because I am legally an adult. It's still like that today in Jewish culture. And look and continue to read on and how he continue, uh, how he responded. Not only he said, "Why are you looking for me?" But he all he went on to say, "Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?" That quickly told them, "You're not my mom or dad. My father is." God the Father. Even here, he is filled with the Spirit. He's identifying who he is and how the Spirit is leading him in the direction that he needs to go. But many of you would say, well, that's a bad little boy telling his parents, don't even look for me. From our Americanized point of view, that is correct. We, we would see that as being disrespectful, but it's not. And to prove what, how Jesus was not being disrespectful, it went on to say that he was submissive towards his parents. Because we all have learned that a spirit-filled family is a, what? Submissive family. That the wife is submissive towards her husband by showing him unconditional respect as the church loves, as the church loves Christ and respect him. And the husband is unconditionally submissive towards his wife by showing her unconditional love and the child is Always being submissive towards their parents. 
That is a submissive family, a spirit-filled family. Because in verse 40, not verse 40, yeah, in verse 40, we see what Luke records. We see that not only the Holy Spirit was explicitly with Jesus, but at the same time, it says that the teenage boy Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and favor of God was upon him. And if, we, if you glance down to uh, verses 50 and 51, it says this, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Submissive to his parents. So he wasn't in the wrong when he told his parents, why are you looking for me? He was still being submissive. That is a great, it, this story does not explicitly talk about the Holy Spirit, but it shows us what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life. We know uh, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. According to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, eight, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10. And as, I, as we already have stated, that submissiveness is an indication of being spirit-filled. So not only Jesus had wisdom, but he was also submissive. And this was the case for Jesus. He was submissive to his adopted parents. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit at Jesus Christ's baptism. The Holy Spirit at Jesus Christ's baptism. In the Gospel of Luke from chapter 2 to chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, Luke fast forward from Jesus being a teenage boy to his baptism and his later years. From chapter 2, to chapter 3, verse 21 through 22, at least 15 to 18 years has passed from the time that Jesus was with his parents. It's easy for us to not realize that because as we read through the Gospels, we are just reading and not counting the amount of time that could have, well, has passed in the life of Jesus. One of uh, my professors like to call that white spaces between the letters. It is likely that Jesus was baptized in his mid-twenties. Now, this is a, based on an educated guess because Jesus did not start his ministry until the age of 30. Now, this is what it says about Jesus' baptism. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What's going on in this text? I think it should that we should realize that only sinners need to be baptized. We already learned that Jesus is holy. Baptism is a public confession stating that you have, you and I have repented of our sins. Confess that Jesus is Lord God. From one perspective, there was no need for Jesus to be baptized in the first place. Because he is sinless and holy. That is why John, early in that verses, in that passage, he refused to baptize Jesus. John said it himself, I am unworthy to unstrap his sandals. If you see me walking around with my shoes on tied, you're not going to bend down and tie my shoe. You're going to say, Travis, tie your shoe. In John's case, Jesus' shoes was already tied. He was saying that I am unworthy to even touch his sandal. Because John knew that Jesus was sinless and holy. That is why John the Baptist refused to baptize Jesus, because he knew that Jesus was and is the Son of God. So why? Why there was a need for Jesus to be baptized? Have you ever thought about that? How was it a need? There are several reasons why. Well, Jesus' baptism allowed him to identify with the people who he came to save. His baptism was a symbolic expression of his work of redemption. Also, Jesus was baptized because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that's going on in this text. If you look at it, Jesus wanting to be baptized... John refused. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, let me ask you this. When you were was baptized, what happened? Did the heavens open up? Did you see angelic beings singing hallelujah? Did you hear a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved child and who I am well pleased? To a certain degree, it happened, but not as dramatic in the way it happened to Jesus. Jesus. 
Why do you think this was going on? Now, from God's perspective, the moment that you made the confession of faith and were baptized, God did say to you and smile upon you by saying, you are my child. He, when you were baptized, all the angelic beings and the entire creation knew at that very moment the work that Christ has done in your life is now being shown at your baptism. And that God is saying, this one belongs to me. That is one perspective of your baptism. I think at all of our baptism, that should be a turning point. Because we understand that we were born sinful. We know that. We all possess a sinful nature. But at your baptism, that should be the turning point in your life by which you made a public confession stating to all who were there at your baptism that you are a child of God. So your life should reflect what your words, uh, the words that came out of your mouth. Amen? At that moment, you identify that you, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You acknowledge that you are now been able to live by the Spirit. Because this was the case for Jesus. He was born holy as a child. In his teenage years, he, he was submissive and grew in wisdom, and only wisdom comes for the Lord. And when he was baptized, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that is going to happen in Jesus' life is he's going to live by the Holy Spirit. Glance over to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted, tempted by the devil. This is right after Jesus' baptism that he was led into the wilderness. That is not a coincidence. It was done on purpose. And it was not Jesus who led himself into the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, preparing him for three years of ministry and ultimately preparing him for the cross that he endured. I remember my calling into ministry. I did not know the feeling that I felt at that particular time. I didn't hear an audible voice. Uh, the Holy Spirit did not descend upon me like in bodily form. 
All I knew within my own spirit that I was being led into ministry. So what I did, I told Crystal, I'm going to join a college. She didn't question me. I didn't even know what college I was going to join. Then I went to Atlanta Christian College. Atlanta Christian College. And when I enrolled there, I didn't know I want to be a pastor or a teacher or a professor or whatever the case. All I knew at that moment that I was called into ministry. So when Atlanta Christian College moved and relocated to West Point, Georgia, it left me and Kristen in limbo where of, of knowing that I need to complete my degree. So what I did, I typed up Christian colleges and Tacoma Falls College came up. And many of you know the rest of the story. And here I am today standing before you. All of this is by God's providence and his leading. And this is for all of us. When Jesus was being led, he was led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And the words 40 is not a coincidence either. The children of Israel's light was in the wilderness for how long? Forty. Wandering around. But they too were led by the Spirit of God. But also, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And that too was a leading of the Holy Spirit. There are many people in the Old Testament, too, that was led by the Holy Spirit to fast. Daniel fasted when he was being persecuted by the people in Babylon. Esther fasted when the Jewish people was being persecuted. Ezekiel fasted. Moses fasted for 40 days before receiving the commandments from God. Elijah fasted 40 days by, so that he can escape the persecution from Jezebel. All of this was led by the Holy Spirit. And to illustrate my point, there, there was a South African pastor who, desired, who decided to fast for 30 days or more. So he went out into the wilderness. And as his 30-day fast, he died. Now his congregation, along with his family members, had to bury him, which they already did. That happened in June. Here is my point. We have to make sure that all of us are being led by the Holy Spirit before we decide to do something in our lives. This is important for us to realize. In every aspect of our lives, we need to be highly sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Does the Spirit of God want me to enroll in another college? Does he want me to have this job? Is he okay with me to be in a relationship with this female or male? 
Is it, does he want me to speak up when people offend me? Or remain silent? This is the leading of the Holy Spirit because seven out of ten, I guarantee you, if someone offends you, you, you want to get upset at them. You really want to tell them what's on, what is on your mind. <laughs> Even including myself. That is our flesh that is rising up. And that is not of the spirit. Let's talk about Jesus Christ was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he was born holy. He was lived, he lived by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Now he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And it says this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. One of the key words or key phrases that I want you to pay close attention to is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Because after Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, you notice that he came from the wilderness empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what Luke is drawing our attention to. It is an interesting contrast of being in a desert, a desert place in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And after he left that place, he felt refreshed by the Spirit of God. The word power in Greek is where we get our word dynamite from. Because it's mean... Powerful is. In the context of this verse, it means that Jesus came from the wilderness with supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. This is evident because from Luke chapter 4, verse 14, until the end of the gospel itself, we notice that Jesus' healing ministry started. It did not start when he was a baby or a teenager or when he was baptized. It started when he came out of the wilderness and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will not find Jesus healing people from Luke chapter 1 to chapter 3. If you survey the subheadings in your Bible, you will see that Jesus... Heal a man with an unclean demon. Luke chapter 4, verse 40, Jesus healed many people with various disease, diseases. Jesus healed a leopard, a handicapped man. But you might be thinking, you might be saying, well, is it not Jesus God? That's true, he is. He's 100% God. 
but he's also 100% man. So it is the Holy Spirit empowering his mortal flesh. Think about it. All of us are mortals. We are fleshly. We are of the flesh, born in the flesh. And every single day, we need the Spirit of God. Because our lives, in, certain, in a certain, and in some degree, is bent towards the flesh. So if you see a meter, and that red little meter goes one way and the other way, one way to the Holy Spirit and the other way to the flesh, our meter goes this way. To the flesh. So I like to believe that when, since Jesus was of the flesh, the Holy Spirit empowered his mortal body to conduct healings. Now we believe this as a denomination. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, we know that Christ is our what? Christ our sanctifier. Christ our healer, common king. But one of the distinctions within the Christian Missionary Alliance is that Christ is our healer. Because we find no record in the Bible where he stopped healing people. And this goes to say for all of us, since we are of the flesh, we need to remind ourselves that we have to have great dependency on the Spirit. The Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a this is objective strength that's coming from outside of us, not inside of us. And one perspective, the other perspective, since Christ and the Holy Spirit reside in us, it does come within us, since they are in us. Amen? Let's talk about Jesus Christ vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, I mean 11 says this. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What happened at the cross? Christ was crucified hung, and he died on the cross. They buried him in a tomb. But what Paul is getting at is that that same spirit that rose Christ from the grave is the same spirit that resides in us. For believers, if you're not a believer, you're still spiritually dead. This is what scripture says. That you're, there's no Holy Spirit within you. So 
If you're not a believer, I just expect you to be a full-out sinner. And I won't complain about it. Because I know sinners are going to do what sinners like to do. But this is not the case for the bride of Christ. The church, if you are a born again, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you should not only have a similar experience to the one that Jesus had when he was baptized, but you should also recognize that the Holy Spirit resides in you. At the moment that you believe, repented of your sins, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, was the moment that the Holy Spirit sealed your salvation. This means that your body is not your body anymore. You and I were bought with a price. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul said it this way. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Beloved, this is significant. It's significant because if we are spirit-filled, our bodies are submissive to the Holy Spirit. If we are not being spirit-filled, soaking up what God has to say about us like a sponge, that means that we are defiling the temple that God has, in, uh, has of us. In other words, we are the temple, so we're defiling our temple. Since God himself resides in us, I am sure he is not going to partake in any kind of sin. Just as much he destroyed the temple in the old days. Am I saying you can lose your salvation? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that if you sin, that the Holy Spirit is not going to reside in you? Nope, I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying, there is a spiritual thing that's going on within our own bodies where our spirit and the Holy Spirit will have no business when we partake in sin. Or partake in someone else's sin. So that means if you're watching a movie, if you're uh, looking at a movie and it's have sexual material things, you're defiling the temple, your body. For me, <laughs> for me, if I'm eating a cake more than I should, That's a lack of self-control. The scripture tells me I should have control over all things. 
whatever the case may be for you. We should be mindful that the Holy Spirit is within us. He is not going to leave us. But we also should be mindful that we should be, that we always should be filled with the Holy Spirit so that He will have full control over our bodies. As the disciples asked Jesus uh, how to pray, and Jesus responded. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As it is in heaven, so it in earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us and not into temptation. That wasn't a prayer for Jesus. That was a prayer for us. Jesus cannot be led into temptation. But for us, we're asking the Lord to help us not to be led into temptation. Lastly, Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Jesus Christ promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I would like to add a little bit more to this passage, uh, to this text. You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which means that it's spread it. His disciples, there's no location for it per se, but to the end of the earth is that it reached over here to the states. To South America and to North America, to South Africa, I mean to Africa, to Europe, to all the countries that is in the world, Jesus have disciples. The importance of this is that we are witnesses of him. And that we have the Holy Spirit because he promised the Holy Spirit will come. And he did. So what does this say about us? If we are disciples of Christ and witnesses of Christ, how should we live on a daily basis? Are we being mindful of the things that we are doing? How are you speaking to other people? How are you loving other people? Caring for them? Submitting to them? Because when the Holy Spirit came, the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. This was the beginning of the birth of the church. The birth of the church happened in this text. And from there, the gospel spread it out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And this is how we have the gospel now. So, as we conclude this series and this sermon, I really like for you to ponder on your life. 
Ask yourself, are you spirit-filled? Are you depending on the Holy Spirit in every single situation that occurs? Are you being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and not of your flesh? Are you being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do a task? Because just like our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the prime example. And we should be imitators of Christ, should we not? Let us pray. Our Father, I pray for myself, for your sheep, and for your bride, your church, the people who you have ransomed for your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would desperately depend on the Holy Spirit that we would not be spirit-filled with the world, but be spirit-filled of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that there are so many influences that come from the world. 